Shabbat Shalom to all of you. I'm Monty Judah with Lion of Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our teaching. We're coming to you each Sabbath morning here, and our program is called Messianic Teachings for Christians. Now, we've covered a number of episodes with you covering various subjects, some of the likes and differences that are between Christian teaching and Messianic teaching. Certainly, what we're in agreement is we all believe in the same Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth, and we believe he's our Savior, has brought about redemption for forgiveness of sins. But after that, there seems to be a lot of differences between us, not the least of which is what did God do with the law and the prophets? Did the Messiah come to transition them, make them go away, so forth. And some Christians like to say that when he said he came to fulfill it, that's exactly what the word fulfill means. We advocate to you as messianics, no, that means to teach it even greater, and it certainly did not go away. Heaven and earth is still here, and that was the conditions put about if it would ever go away, heaven and earth would go away. They're still here and so the implications of that are a whole variety of different teachings that come out of it. If the law and the prophets are still in effect, then there's a host of commandments that are still in effect, and there's certain things that God has commanded us to do. Now, the Christian world says, no, it went away, and so the church has stepped in to give instruction on what they are to do, as opposed to we advocate that which God gave through Moses and the prophets. That is what we're to do. Now, in the last couple of episodes, I shared with you a review of some critics that have come against Messianic teaching. I came to you with two particular teachers, Christian teachers, very capable, able to speak to the issues, and I shared with you some of their criticisms of Messianic teachings, trying to turn you back to that Jesus came and fulfilled all that. We don't have to do it anymore. Well, there's another major difference that we need to cover for you to understand fully Messianic teaching versus Christian teaching, and I alluded to it on the very last episode, and it has to do with what we call eschatology. Eschatology is the study of last things. What is God's plan for the end of the age? We all know the Messiah is going to be coming back, but exactly how does that all work out? What is the plan Force. Most of you are familiar with, I don't know if you necessarily believe it, but most of you are familiar with a teaching in Christianity called the pre-trib rapture. They believe there will be this sudden catching up of the church, of the believers, and the Messiah with the resurrection of the saints, and they'll all go up into heaven, and then here on the earth we're going to have some events called the Great Tribulation, and Israel and other things will be happening down here. That is their main idea about what's supposed to be happening at the end of the age when we talk about eschatology. They base that on two scriptures, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Both of those passages talk about in the twinkling of an eye, the catching up of the saints while they're still alive, translating them so that they can go up into the clouds along with the resurrected saints. Now, what precedes that, what happens after that, that comes up for speculation, but there's a lot of believers that believe in this sudden pre-trib rapture. In fact, many of them will advocate right now that it could happen at any moment. 
Some say, no, it will actually happen just before a seven-year tribulation. Some say, no, it'll be in the middle of the tribulation. Some say, no, it will be at the end of the tribulation. Some say, there is no tribulation, there is no millennium, and there is no rapture. Whatever. Christianity has a lot of different views on it, but amongst evangelicals, the subject of the coming of the Lord is most generally accepted as a sudden, imminent rapture, the return of the Lord. He comes down to the clouds, and suddenly we're caught up with the Lord. That is not the teaching of messianics. Messianics do believe the Lord will be coming back. We do believe in the resurrection, and we believe that in conjunction with the resurrection, there will be some people still alive on the earth when the resurrection takes place, and they will be caught up with those in the resurrection. But the emphasis with messianics is about the resurrection. It's not about the rapture and then, oh, by the way, some other people get resurrected. No, the way those scriptures, it talks about the resurrection is taking place, and then some people that are still alive are caught up with them. There's a complete different emphasis on the actual event of the catching up. But more importantly, and that's what I really want to spend some time sharing with you about the whole subject of eschatology, messianics have believed God to have a completely different personality and character from what a lot of Christians do. And based on how you, what you believe about God in this regard determines how your eschatology is going to work out. Let me explain. If you're going to believe in a pre-trib rapture, then you're going to believe there's a moment somewhere in time that nobody knows about in which God says, let's do it and let's gather everybody up. And that God does this at a random moment. Maybe the father knows about it, but as far as the whole come off, it, you know, God is giving us the signal. He's going to do it at any moment as though God is impulsive and God doesn't really have a detailed specific plan. He certainly hasn't shared the plan with us and so that's what they believe about God. We don't believe that about God. Messianics see God and the way he's worked with mankind all of the time that we've had the record of God working with mankind. God has a plan. God works to that plan. He had a plan for creation. He has a plan for redemption. He, oh, by the way, he has a plan to restore all things to himself. And he has a plan that is shared with us all through the scripture. And the Torah tells us a lot about the plan that God has for the end of the ages for the subject of eschatology. Now, Christians would like you to know, no, you can't know the plan. And oh, by the way, nobody knows the day or the hour. Therefore, there is no plan that we know of, and there's no way you can figure all this out. Despite all the prophecies that tell about all the events that are supposed to take place the last three and a half years here on the earth before the kingdom, the definition of the great tribulation. But Christians look at that and they say, well, that doesn't apply to me, so I can ignore it. I don't have to know that. God doesn't have a plan that involves me. And they separate themselves out from that plan, even though God clearly has a plan for some things to take place. Let's understand this. Let's start with where we're in agreement. We are mortals, and in this mortal body, we're going to die. Most of us are going to get old enough, sick enough, whatever, we're going to die. 
But we do believe in the resurrection. We believe that God has the power, and because of our faith in him and his promise of eternal life, he's going to raise us from the dead. We will be resurrected. And we believe that we'll live with the Lord in his kingdom in some way, shape, or form. With that as agreement, we also need to go back and understand how does God present not only that plan, that picture of those goals, but how has he in the past operated with mankind when he went to do something? Did he have a plan for that? And did he reveal the plan and so forth? Because if you can see that God has been doing that in previous generations, in previous millennia, well, it follows suit. He'll be doing it here at the end of the age. Let me just give you a couple of simple things that come out of the study of eschatology if you take the whole Bible into account. Let me give you a couple of principles. Principle number one, what happens to the fathers will happen to the descendants. The stories of the fathers of Israel and the things that happened to our ancestors, they not only were they historical events, but they also foretold of what would be happening to their descendants. The stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's a big picture there about that's what's going to happen to all of their descendants. You can look at their life and examine, you know, Abraham, for example, his neighbors referred to him, he was different. In fact, the reason why he has the title Hebrew is because I'm not from here, I'm from across the river. That's a Hebrew. I'm, I don't really belong here, but I'm here, and I'm different. In the case of Isaac, his neighbors then began to take the posture, well, we accept the fact that you're different, but we don't want you living that close to us. We, we don't want you to be here. We want you to be somewhere else. And in the case of Jacob, it went even further. His neighbors said, no, we're fearful of you. You are a danger to us. We're going to attack you. We're, we would just as soon kill you. Well, typically, this is what happens to the people of Israel when they go into a different land or move to a different community. The first thing they take note of you is that you're different, like Abraham. Second thing they know is, well, we don't want to participate with you. We don't want you to participate with us. We want you to be separate from us, Isaac. And then finally, they become threatening. And this has been the typical story of the Jewish community and the children of Israel throughout the history of the years. That little dynamic of what happens to the fathers will happen to the descendants is one of the first patterns that we see how actually what the story of the fathers was actually a prophecy to the descendants. And that leads us to one of the other principles that we learn. Prophecy in the Bible is history that hasn't yet happened. You know, when the prophecy is fulfilled, it'll, it'll suddenly it'll become history. And history that we go back and look into the Bible, it's actually prophetic of something that will be happening. You know, what happens before will be happening again. There's nothing new under the sun, however you want to say it. And by the way, this whole book beginning all the way with Genesis 1-1, is a whole set of prophecies about what God's doing with the Messiah and with Israel. And it goes all the way to Revelation chapter 22. It's still the same prophecies 
about the Messiah and about Israel. Now, Christianity would like to tell you that there's been a break in the middle of that and that God's character who was doing this great plan that he was working to and multiple plans that are laid out in there, that suddenly when the Messiah came, God changed his whole character, changed his whole way of doing things, and suddenly we have this church age with the Christians, and God doesn't work that way anymore until the Christians are gone, and then God reverts back to the way it used to work. I'm sorry, folks, that's not the way the Lord works. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We do not get to change the character of God. And part of the reason why we have a difference of opinion on eschatology and prophecy interpretation is because we've got a different definition for who God is and what his personality and his character is. I want to take you to an example of how God gave prophecy to the ancients and actually told us of things that were going to happen. And what's so interesting about this is we get to see the prophecy he spoke, and then we get to actually see the events, which are his history to us. At the time, it wasn't. It was a prophecy. But we get to see how the history is fulfilled and how it lines up with what God told us that he was going to do. And we get to make a comparison between what God said and what actually is fulfilled. This is very wise for us to do this because God's been doing a lot of this, and there's a whole lot of prophecies about the Messiah, not only his first coming, but his second coming. If we could understand how God's been using prophecy in the past and how it's fulfilled, it might give us insights and wisdom on how to understand prophecy and how it's fulfilled. Let me take you back to a very interesting conversation that God had with our father Abraham. This is in Genesis chapter 15. This is when God made covenant with Abraham, and he had told him to prepare some sacrifices and five different sacrifices and flayed them open. And he made this agreement with Abraham and his descendants that he would be the Lord and they would be his people and that he would bless them and so forth. And he went further with Abraham to say to him at that time, and mind you, this is before he has the first descendant. This is when Abraham still doesn't even have Isaac yet. Here's what God said in Genesis 15, verse 15. As for you, Abraham, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried at a good old age. How would you like to have God walk up to you and say, oh, by the way, brother, you're going to live to a good old age. I mean, that, that's a good prophecy. I, I like that one. By the way, Abraham lived to be 175. When these events were taking place, he was less than 100 years old. He then said, verse 16, Then in the fourth generation your descendants will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. You see, he had said, your descendants, Abraham, they're going to go down into a strange land. They're not going to be staying here where you're at. They're going to go down there. Don't worry about that. You go and be with your fathers. But then I'm going to bring them back to this land. There's, there's this scenario of which Abraham's descendants are going to go through this event of going down and being enslaved in Egypt and then coming up out of Egypt. He's prophesying about the great exodus. 
And he says the following, then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. What's so interesting about that phrase is he slips in the thing about the Amorites. See, part of the prophecy also is not only will the children of Israel come up out of Egypt, the descendants of Abraham, but when they do come out, God is going to use them to deal with the Amorites that are in the land of Canaan. He's going to bring them back to land and deal with them at the same time. By the way, if you go into the scriptures, read the story of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. About the time they're getting ready to go into the land, guess what they end up doing? God uses them to go in and wipe out the Amorites. They destroy the Amorites and remove them from the land. And so just like what God said, yeah, they came out of Egypt and they came to the land and they also took out the Amorites. And he says the following. Now it gets specific. Listen to this. He says they'll be down there 400 years in the fourth generation. Now, in Exodus chapter 12, this is when the actual Exodus take place. This is Moses now at the Exodus. Remember, God prophesied it. In verse 41, he says this, At the end of 430 years, to the very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Moses is taking note that they were down there 430 years, not in Egypt, but 430 years since God prophesied they would go to Egypt. You see, he's referring back to Genesis 15. He's not referring to when Jacob went into Egypt. They weren't there 430 years. They were really there more like 235 years or so. They were only there for four generations. But the prophecy from the time of Abraham until Moses is leaving Egypt with the children of Israel, it was exactly 430 years to the day, he said. Now, we know that they left Egypt on the 15th of Nisan. It was the first day of what we understand to be the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So 430 years before the Feast of Unleavened Bread, God made this prophecy. So when those sacrifices were taking place that God was making with them, they, that was in the same time frame with the Passover and with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Do you see a pattern here? Do you see that there's an event that took place historically that's going to become even greater at a later time? And looking back to how the prophecies fulfilled, oh my gosh, God planned this. God planned for Abraham's descendants to go down to Egypt and come up at a certain time. He even planned not only when they went down, he planned on the day they came out. Now, if you'd have been in Egypt and you were a descendant of Abraham and you're curious about what God's plan is for you while you're living in Egypt, one of the things you would have said amongst your brethren, you know, we're supposed to be leaving Egypt pretty soon. And oh, by the way, if you were in the fourth generation since they came down in there, you'd be saying, hey, I think we're the generation that's going to be leaving Egypt. So let's look around. Let's see what's going on. Let me tell you a rather interesting extra-biblical story that occurred actually historically back in those days. There's a group of, this is the story, there was a group of Ephraimites, the tribe of Ephraim, and they knew about these prophecies. 
they knew God had said, we'll be down there 400 years, we'll be down there four generations. And when they hit the 400 year mark, which was 30 years before the actual event, they all got this idea that, hey, this is it, we're supposed to leave Egypt. And they packed up and a bunch of them left. And which way did they go? They went right into where the Philistines were at, right along the coast, and they all got killed. They didn't wait on the Lord. Now, in one sense, they thought they were right. Hey, it's 400 years. God said 400 years, fourth generation. We're fourth generation. Hey, you know, and you can see how they could kind of think that was right, but it turns out it wasn't exactly right. They had to wait on the Lord to see how it would be fulfilled. And here comes Moses. We have the events of the judgments upon Egypt, and suddenly the prophecies are fulfilled. It's a case study on how God prophesied event and how they unfold. This is one case study that is particularly profound for us and for the end of the age. Let me tell you why. See this story about the Exodus thing, about the children of Israel coming out of Exodus? The history, most of the Torah is all about it. It's a giant prophecy about us at the end of the ages. See, this Exodus thing about coming out of Exodus, that itself is a prophecy about us. Let me read a couple of prophets to you that say this. The prophet Jeremiah, chapter 16, verse 14, he says the following about the end times. He says, Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their fathers. What did Jeremiah just say? He said, hey, there's a day coming when you're going to use the word Exodus and you're not going to be referring to when God brought Moses and the children of Israel out of Egypt. You're going to be instead referring to when God himself brings up all of the scattered of Israel, all the exiles of Israel from all the different nations where they're scattered in the world, and he's going to bring them back that way. And there's going to be another Exodus. Now, this isn't a single instant given by the prophets of Israel. Jeremiah is going to repeat this again. In chapter 23, he says the following. Verse 7, Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the north land and from all the countries where I had driven them, then they will live on their own soil. There it is again. There's going to be another exodus. He's speaking prophetically. He's speaking prophetically. And by the way, when Jeremiah said this, the house of Israel had already gone into captivity. So the question is, well, what happens to all those people? He said, there's an exodus coming in which all those people have been scattered. They're going to be coming back. In fact, here in Jeremiah 23, guess who, and I didn't read the verse, but guess who he says leads the people back? It's the Messiah. It's the Messiah that leads the scattered of Israel back from all of the different nations 
back to the land of Israel, to live in the land of Israel. That's a completely different end-time scenario than the church teaches. This one is in the scripture, and there's lots of verses on it. Those other two verses they've been using, they're just about the resurrection. These two verses are talking about what is the grand plan on how God is going to gather all of his people and what he's planning on doing with the rest of the world. If I could, let me take you all the way back to when Moses first started talking about this. See, Jeremiah is simply referring to a teaching that Moses gave. So go back to Moses, go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, at the conclusion of the Torah. This is what Moses says to that final generation going into the promised land. So it shall be when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. Did you know that Moses prophesied the children of Israel would be scattered into all the nations? You know, he's the one that got them out of Egypt and got them over to be going. Did you know that he prophesied after they were in the land that they would be scattered into all the nations? That was part of God's plan. Now he's talking about the conclusion of the matter. After all of those things happen, after all those different generations have gone through it, that intends that God intends when we suddenly call it to mind in all the nations. In other words, what call it to mind? What, what does that mean? When you and I start looking at how God uses prophecy, when we start understanding that historical events are actually prophecies to us, what happens to the fathers will happen to the descendants. This is the great teaching of eschatology in this book. And what happened in the Exodus is a great story of what's going to happen to the last generation. Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 10 says, Now those things that happen in the wilderness, they are for our admonition, our instruction, upon whom will fall at the end of the ages. Here we are at the end of the ages. You mean to tell me that all those things that happened to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, going through the wilderness, getting ready to go on the promised land, all of them are our instructions, our admonitions, things to help us at the end of the ages when we get ready to go in the real promised land? Yes. That's what he's saying. So when I take you to the book of Numbers, which is called in the wilderness, the meat bar, there's lessons in there we're supposed to be learning right now that's going to be happening to us at the end of the ages. It's prophecy. Did you know the Torah was prophecy? I've been a Torah teacher for many years. Let me give you a two-sentence definition of the entire Torah. This is a set of books that explain about a group of people that come out of Egypt, journey through wilderness on their path to a promised land. The first book simply explains how in the world did they get stuck in Egypt to begin with. I just taught you the whole Torah. However, did you know that well, the events that take place there are also what's supposed to happen to the last generation? Did you know Moses made a conversation, spoke to the future last generation and told them that all these things that are prophesied in here about the last generation, 
that they will not pass away, that generation will not pass away until all of it is accomplished. That this book is about one generation that's in history, but it's prophesying to the last generation at the end of the ages. Now that's a totally different way to view eschatology. That's a totally different way to understand the end times. Christians do not teach any of that. They just tell you, you're the church and you're gonna get raptured. And they argue about the timing of the rapture. They forget the whole sense of it's really about the resurrection and they forget all about God's plan. They don't understand God's plan. They have no idea as to what's going on. Let me continue to read what Moses said. So you can understand where Jeremiah and other prophets are going to follow from. He says, verse 2, And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all of your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. That is a very interesting statement. It says there's a group of people that are scattered in the nations, that God views them as belonging to him, part of Israel, and they've been out there in exile doing whatever they've been doing, uh, suffering under exile, not being a part of what God's doing. And suddenly they recall all this to mind. They remember about what God did with their ancestors. They start learning this. And here it says, and they turn back to the teaching of Moses. Now, I just told you what the teaching of Moses is. It's a story about a historical generation that came out of Egypt. It's also a prophecy to the last generation. It says that people, they're going to turn back to the teaching of Moses. They're going to go back and learn about what I taught. Let me read the verses to you again. Verse 1, so it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing of the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all I command you today, you and your sons. That's describing us. If you're listening to Messianic teaching, you're turning back to Moses. You're not letting the argument about Yeshua made Moses go away. You're keeping Moses in the equation for your spiritual education. You're still listening to Moses along with the Messiah. And you're recalling it to mind. He's suddenly, Monty, I'm still here in Oklahoma. I'm not living outside of Jerusalem. I'm in Oklahoma. I'm scattered. I'm still in the nations. Oh, by the way, God's got a plan about bringing me back to the land. He's got a plan about bringing me into his kingdom. Wow, he's talking about me right here where I'm at right now, and I'm doing exactly what Moses said that I was to do. I've turned back to the teaching of Moses, and I'm learning to keep the commands of the Lord. And here's what else he says. Verse 3, Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity, have compassion on you, will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are all the way into Oklahoma, from there, the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. Actually, it didn't say Oklahoma. It actually said, if your outcasts are at the ends of the earth. I think Oklahoma qualifies as one of the ends of the earth as compared to Jerusalem. Okay? So I think that verse applies to me and you. 
Did you hear what the Lord said? Did you hear what Moses prophesied is going to happen at the end of the age? The church doesn't teach this. These words are in the Bible. You can read them just as easily as me. But if you don't turn back to Moses, you won't read these words. Verse 5, it continues, The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. You shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. That sounds like the messianic kingdom. You know, that there will be no end to the increase, as the Messiah said. Verse 6, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, the heart of your descendants, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. And by the way, the word live there means to live eternally. Wow. In a nutshell, Moses has just described what's supposed to be happening at the end of the ages. Now, Moses was the man who led the children of Israel out of Egypt, led them through on the journey to the promised land. You and I have found ourselves, we were born here, and we find ourselves in exile. We're one of the descendants of those people. We see Abraham as our father. We're descendants, and this is what we were told by the prophets. This is what the ancients told us, what the fathers told us. And he said, what happened to the fathers is going to be happening to us. That's a great plan of God. This is the way God works. Eschatology, prophecy, all the way through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. So anybody who comes along and tells you, no, we got a different plan for what God's going to be doing here at the end, and it doesn't involve Moses, and it doesn't involve Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's a false prophet. Because the Scriptures have said what is going to happen. Now, here's the problem. If you take that verse in Matthew 5, 17, and you say Yeshua came to abolish the law and prophets, or at least fulfill them to the extent that they, we don't, they don't have any more bearing, then I guess the prophecies that Moses and Jeremiah gave, they don't apply to us anymore. And people like to, Christians, like to say, oh, well, those words, they didn't really go away, but they're only for the Jews. Hey, I got bad news for you folks. If you don't qualify to be one of the people that is a descendant of Abraham, you're not making it in the kingdom. The descendants of Abraham are the one that go to the kingdom. Paradise is referred to as the bosom of Abraham. It's not First Baptist. It's not Presbyterian Church of such and such place. It's not the Holy Catholic Church. That's not the kingdom, according to this book. The name of the kingdom is Israel. So we maybe we should pay attention to how God does these prophecy things because we have a ton of examples of how he's prophesied before. We can see how they were fulfilled. Therefore, we can see what's projected for us. We can understand better the prophecies for us. Did you know that the nation of Israel today that was formed in 1948, that was a major end-time prophecy? You see, prophecy from God has to do with the Messiah and Israel. If the Messiah is going to come back to Israel, then there has to be an Israel again. That means some of Israel that was scattered in the nations got to come back and restart the country of Israel. By the way, what does the prophecy say about that? 
it says that one half of Israel, the house of Judah, is definitely going to come back and reestablish the nation, which is exactly what we saw in 1948. A bunch of Jews from the house of Judah came back and reformed the nation, just like what the prophecy said. Let me read some words to you. Here's the prophet Zechariah describing this event and telling us that between the two houses of Israel, the first element that will come back to the land and establish the nation is going to be the house of Judah. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 5, Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, A strong support for us are the inhabitants of Jerusalem through the Lord of hosts, their God. And in that day I will make the clans of Judah like a firepot among pieces of wood and a flaming torch among sheaves, so that it will consume on their right hand and on their left hand all the surrounding peoples, while the inhabitants of Jerusalem again dwell on their own sites in Jerusalem. The Lord also will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem will not be magnified above Judah. The prophecy said that the house of Judah, the Jews, are going to be the first step of the element of bringing the scattered exiles back from the nations. That there will be a nation of Israel formed again, and it will be the house of Judah that will establish it. Now, is it just exclusively for them, like some people say? No. The prophecy also goes on to say through Ezekiel on this same thing, it says, I'm going to take Judah, and I'm going to bring the other house, the house of Israel, the ones that are scattered elsewhere, and I'm going to bring them back, and they're going to join, and they'll become one in the hand of the Lord. This is from Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 15. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, And you, son of man, take for yourself one stick, write on it for Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel his companions, then join them for yourself one to another into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. When the sons of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not declare to us what they, you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will become one in my hand. The sticks on which you write will be in your hand before your eyes. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they've gone. I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. One king will be king for all of them. They will no longer be two nations, no longer be divided into two kingdoms. So let me summarize what God prophesied. He said, first, while well, you're all scattered in the nations, I'm going to take the house of Judah, the stick of Judah. I'm going to bring them back. And I'm going to set them up so that they're surrounded by enemies, but they will be a fire pot consuming their enemies on all sides. Look at the modern nation of Israel today the house of Judah. And they have enemies to the north, 
enemies to the east, enemies to the south, and generally nations against them all over the world, and they're thriving and doing well. In fact, if you're one of the enemies of Israel, I would heartily recommend leave them alone because they will wipe you out. God said that the house of Judah would have that ability. They would be a fire pot amongst dry sheaves and wood, and they would burn the enemy. We see that today. That is the modern state of Israel. Zechariah properly prophesied that, and that's exactly how we see the Middle East today. But he also goes on further to say, once they're there, I'm not going to leave the house of Israel alone. I'm going to bring them too. And I'm going to bring them, and they're going to join with the house of Judah. There will be one nation, they'll have one king, and they will all dwell together in that land. Right now in Israel, they are waiting for the house of Ephraim to return and join them. I'm talking about Jews that are in the land of Israel. They know these prophecies. They're looking for that to happen. It's referred to as the two houses of Israel, the restoration of the house of Jacob. Many prophecies cover this. So here we have the Jews in the land of Israel, the religious Jews following these prophecies. They're looking forward to it. So what about the rest of the world? Well, <laughs> it gets kind of interesting here. Amongst the churchmen, I just shared stuff with you they've never heard in their life. Nobody's ever taught this. They have no idea what I just talked about. Now, some of my Messianic Jewish brethren who come from a Jewish background who still are behaving like the ancient Jews, stubborn, stiff-necked, bigoted, uh, irritating, they don't believe any of this. They think they're it. They're Israel. There is nobody else. They don't want to hear about this. In fact, there are places and organizations, what I just shared with you, they write papers telling you all this is ridiculous. Don't listen to this. Did Yeshua not tell us that in the last days there would be many false prophets? He's not talking about just a bunch of different people saying the same false thing. He's talking about many people disputing every element of the prophecy. I've got Messianic Jewish brethren disputing this prophecy, but they believe in the prophecy of the second coming. I got Christians believing in the prophecy of the second coming, but they are disputing what God's doing with Israel. But some evangelicals, they all of a sudden they're seeing Israel as a nation in this generation. All of a sudden they're getting excited. They, hey, that's part of the prophecy. Yes, you're right. But do you really understand what God has said about Israel in the last days and what that means? What he's saying, he's working with Israel. He's not working with this entity that was set up against Israel. He's not working with the church. He's working with people, individuals that may be attending some churches. He's talking about his saints. That's who he's going to bring back, his saints. He's not bringing the church back to Jerusalem. He's bringing his people back to Jerusalem. So let's bring this to a conclusion. This is the first installment that I'm going to be sharing with you about how God has a plan and he's been prophesying about the end times from the very beginning, even from the Torah from Moses. And we have to pay attention to that. That's, going to, that's actually what's going to be happening. 
That's the very character of God. God has said of himself, I have planned it, surely I will do it. God is not impulsive. He's not just going to randomly roll the roulette wheel and say, well, today we're going to have the resurrection and the rapture. It doesn't work that way. God has a great plan about what he's doing with his people all over the world. He's got a great plan about doing with the nation of Israel. He's planning on restoring the whole house of Jacob. And oh, yes, there's going to be the promise of eternal life. There will be a resurrection. But that resurrection and that rapture is part of the great plan. And the whole time God's talking about this, he's talking about Israel and the Messiah. He's not talking about the church. This is the reason why the church has come up with a different definition. They've come up with a definition that says God's impulsive. He could imminently come at any moment and ignore all the other stuff you heard. When I listen to Yeshua saying, in the last days there will be many false prophets, I think he's referring to people who are going to deny what Moses and the prophets have said. They're going to deny that. They're going to ignore it. They're going to try to annul it. They're going to dispute it. And they're going to come up with another scenario. Kind of a happy one for them, but not necessarily the truth for everybody else. That's our installment for this week, brethren. In the next coming episodes, we're going to get into some more detail, and I'm going to share with you God's great plan for us messianics and what's going to happen in the world. Oh, by the way, if you're a Christian, you might want to hang on here. You're part of the plan too, whether you realize it or not. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you everyone who listens to our podcast here at Line of Land Ministries. I want to remind you you can get our podcast through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, and wherever you like to download your podcast. Thank you for being a part of our program and listening to what we have to say.